0: Well good morning Integrity Church, Pastor Derek Delane here. I'm uh, so excited that I get the opportunity to open up uh, the Word of God with you guys. Obviously, unfortunate circumstances with with Pastor Ben, but uh, we're praying for him, uh, praying for you all, as well as you guys navigate this uh, crazy season, just like everybody else in the world right now. Uh, The one thing that uh, my hope that you would understand and grasp in the midst of this is that God is still in control. Uh, That's what I have to tell myself, and uh, hopefully I can tell you that as well, and let that be an encouragement to you, um, but I'm jumping in with you guys. you guys have been going through the book of Amos, and so we're going to be picking up in Amos uh, chapter five uh, while you are turning there uh, on your on your phones or your you know actual Bible if you have one. Um, we just moved. We literally just got to Nashville this week. And so, uh, last time I was with you, I was with you guys, I shared with you all that we were moving to Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, this Tuesday we actually just landed. And so, uh, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Uh, but again, God, God is good. Uh, what's so cool about this transition, um, We've been able to have conversations with my, my daughter True, my son Michael, uh, and I was able to share with them my experience about when I moved from uh, uh, from state to state, when we moved from New York to North Carolina. And one of the things that uh, happened literally the first night uh, that we moved into the city, uh, there was a, a, a major thunderstorm. I'm talking about lightning, thunder we ain't never heard in our lives, right? Uh, because there's just something different about North Carolina thunderstorms. Uh, and so when we moved Tuesday night, uh, there was a thunderstorm that happened. I was able to talk to my, uh, my kids about that and our experience. Uh, but then it got me thinking about a couple other things that was new for us when we moved from New York uh, to North Carolina. Uh, one thing in particular was uh, the sounds of trains. Uh, there was a subway that we were used to, but a subway and the train is completely uh, different. And so when we, when we moved, uh, we lived right next to a train depot. Uh, the train depot was uh, on one side, and then the railroad crossing was on the other. And so, as trains were coming into the station, man, they would lay on that horn. And so, you're talking two, three, four o'clock in the morning being woken up uh, by a sound of an incoming train. But it wasn't until you know we kind of did some digging in to find out why they would just lay on the horn so much. They were warning the the, the passerbys or the people in the car that a train was coming. So they had to lay on that horn in the railroad crossing so that nobody would get hurt. To to let them know that that danger is is approaching and for them to be ready. That's exactly what's happening here in Amos chapter 5. Up until this point, a couple chapters uh, ahead, you can hear the train start to rumble a little bit. Amos would, would, would issue warning here and warning there. But then what's happening in Amos chapter five, the train is coming and the horns are being blown and Amos is telling the people of Israel, judgment is coming. And that's where we're picking up. As as way of a reminder, uh, Amos was was a prophet. Uh, He was uh, kind of a a farmer and he was going up into uh, the nation of Israel at this time. Uh, 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 Let me back up. Dang, I messed up. They they can edit all this. (laughs) (laughs) As a way of reminder, Amos is a a prophet. He's heading up to speak to the king and the leadership of Israel. You see, Israel has found itself uh, sitting pretty up at this point. Uh, With its history of of slavery in Egypt and and now being a kingdom with a lineage of great kings like like, uh, like David and, and Solomon... Israel is riding that wave of success. However, it's in this success that the kingdom is split in two between uh, the north and and the south. You had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. Now, the nation of Israel in the north began to find themselves in a position where they no longer depended on God at all. And it's in their lack of dependence, uh, they they had this increase in their self-reliance. The kingdom allowed idolatry worship to come in and and they had this, this deafening tone towards injustice. So Amos being led by God, he went up and said to these individuals, Hey guys, something isn't right about how you are living, how this kingdom is being run. And I'm here to say that God's judgment is coming. I'm here to say that the horn is being blown. What was God not okay with? Well, we're going to see it in two different ways, specifically in this book. Number one, he wasn't pleased with their inauthentic worship. And then number two, we're going to see that he wasn't okay with their mistreatment of the, the vulnerable in their society. Pick up with me in, in verse chapter five, or in verse five of, of chapter five. Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest He break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it. For Bethel, O you who turn to justice, uh, turn justice to wormwood, and cast down righteousness to the earth. See the people are seeking God through religion. These these areas that, that Amos mentioned, these names like like uh, Bethel and Gilgal and, and Beersheba, these are the areas where they would come together to, to, to worship. They were popular places for worship. What we're going to see later on in verse 21, that these people knew how to have church. They would celebrate and do all these amazing things. These people knew how to celebrate. They had the great feasts and, and festivals and music. And what again, we see that they know how to do these things. However, it's in their worship that the people of Israel was simply just going through the motions of worship without actually seeking the Lord in their worship. We can readily relate to that, right? To the people of Israel in this particular category, many of us go through great lengths to try to get the Lord's attention. We go to great lengths to try to show why we earn and deserve His love for us. We go to church regularly. We give the right amount of time to feel good, but yet our hearts aren't where they need to be what God is saying, guys, you need to seek me, and that's when you'll live. In the midst of all their religious activity, they miss the beauty of God and who he is. He keeps going by pointing out their mistreatment of the most vulnerable in their society. Look at verse 10 and 12 of chapter 5. They hate him who reproves in the gate. Now, when you read in the gate, that means a place of law and justice in the city. Let's keep reading. They abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from them, you have, uh, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Now catch this with me. They went through all this religious observance that we see in the earlier verses, through five verses 5 and, and 7, uh, but yet their hearts weren't, 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 weren't altered at all. Their hearts weren't changed. In fact, instead of, uh, of desiring righteousness and justice for everyone in their society, they cared only about themselves. And what has been happening is that the rich people of the day built these mansions for themselves. They planted all these different vineyards to enjoy, and they wanted to, for it to benefit for themselves in this materialistic way of, of living. They did all this, and the poor and the vulnerable would be the ones that would pay the cost. They would suffer because of it. They are stepped on, and they are looked over in this process by being taxed differently than those in power. So instead of being cared for and being looked after, they were ostracized and mistreated. So what we see is that Amos is telling them that the Lord is going to sweep through them because of this very thing. Remember their worship services that were amazing? Look at verse 21 now. He says this, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. You see, it's in this moment, God is telling them, I don't want your songs. I don't want your feasts. I don't want any of that. What I do want you to do, though, is seek me and live. And in in seeking me, your your worship changes from being a, a focus on you and your celebrations and a shifting to me and who I am. When you begin to focus on me and who I am, your concerns shift from yourself to those who are in, are in need. You, they, they move from this self-interest, if you will. And what does that actually look like? Look at verse 24. It says, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This justice and righteousness, when, when things are, are dry and barren because of injustice, the people of God were meant to let that justice and righteous flow to bring life. You heard Pastor Ben preach on this a few weeks ago, and now you see it again. God doesn't simply just want our music and our offerings and our festivals for the sake of having them. He doesn't want us to just simply come to church and to sing good songs and go to small group just for the sake of doing it. No. He wants our worship in the eyes of God to look like justice and righteousness. Integrity Church, what we see with Israel and what we need to be reminded of today is this that rituals can become barriers to righteousness. This is what Amos is saying to Israel, and this is what we must be mindful of as well as we walk through life. Now, listen, I don't mean to insult your intelligence by walking through these two words, but I feel like to get the whole scope, We have to break them down. Righteousness is described here in the Hebrew as this standard of right relationships towards people, no matter their social differences. You see, justice is also described as this concrete action that's that's taking to correct injustice. Why? In order to create righteousness. They go hand in hand. God's idea of justice is treating the poor and the needy and those who are disenfranchised well. God is calling out a system that works to keep poor people poor and allows the rich to keep getting richer at the expense of those who are poor. He says that this is unjust. So, Amos says to them in verse 15, Establish justice in the gate. We're called to establish justice. Jesus, too, was equally concerned about justice and treating people well. He talked about how we spend our money and how we care for those in need. In Matthew 25:35 through36, it says this, "For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. What Jesus is saying here is that the way you can tell you have a real experience with grace is that you see people in need and you pour out your heart for them. Guys. If the church supports a system that neglects justice and righteousness and we simply turn a blind eye to the injustice that we see in the news or in our societies and in our towns, we aren't calling it out while it only happens. You know, while at the same time we come to church on Sunday, we come to our our gatherings as if nothing is going on. God is saying, you are not in line with who I am and where my heart is. And he says, I don't want to hear it. Hear this. A failure to show concern for the poor and vulnerable shows a misunderstanding of the gospel. And what I mean by that is we have never realized our own pressing need for God's merciful attention to us and our sin. When we begin to have our perspectives shift in that way, we can then see those who are in need. When when Jesus comes in, in the book of Matthew and in Mark, when he looks out on the crowd, it says that he's moved with compassion towards them because they are harassed like a sheep. Without a shepherd. Charlie Dates, a current pastor in Chicago, he says this Every pious outburst of refined biblical exegesis without a corresponding social and cultural compassion for those who live on the margin is a failure of a feigned devotion and a false exegetical practice. What that means is if you have never woken up to injustice, if you've never been moved by compassion, if if you are not generous, it begs the question of whether you have ever encountered the real gospel that not only saves us, but then propels us into mission to those who are in need. I wonder if God is looking at us and He says, You know what? I'm tired of your noise too. When I begin to think about injustice in our society, I have to be honest, guys. I get overwhelmed. Just stop and think about it. There's abortion on demand. There's, there's racial injustice and systemic uh, racism that still takes place in our society. Law practices that benefit those in positions of power while belittling those who don't have it. And that's just on a Monday morning. As soon as you address one topic, you know another topic is, is coming right up. On top of that, if you're like me, you want to avoid pain, right? Not run towards it. And on top of that, I'm just one person, right? What can I do? See, these thoughts come to my mind and I ask these questions, but I need to ask these questions with the right motive. And if I don't, it can lead to apathy. And this apathy can create a Christianity that's comfortable, that's easy to navigate, and allows us to put the blinders on and simply say, all things will be good in time, right? Jesus is coming back. So when he comes, then he'll make all things right, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. that that's very true, right? Right? We need to ask God to, uh, for, for him to come and, and save quickly from this wretched place. But if we're only thinking about the future and not our current circumstances, we're missing the point. You see, you want to know who else operated like this? The nation of Israel. Look with me at verse 18. He says this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. You see, their understanding of the day of the Lord was was God coming in and, and saving them from their enemies and restoring them and making all things right. They talked about how much they desired it. But what Amos is saying is like, nah, you have, you have a misunderstanding of the day of the Lord. Trust me, you don't want that day. You see, Amos refers to the day of the Lord five times in a book in this particular book. And it's always a day of judgment. See, Israel assumed that judgment was coming for those on the outside, but God is saying, no, the horn is blowing. It's coming for you as well. Integrity Church, I cannot stress this enough. This is a hard passage. You have the the people of God who in their own way, thinking that they're following after God, but in reality, they're turning away from God. Then seeing the judgment of God lining up against them. But it's in the midst of this, we still see the heart of God for his people. Three times in this chapter, he says to seek me and live. Believe it or not, I love the Old Testament, as especially when it comes to the prophets. As hard as those passages are, they offer us hope. The day of the Lord and the minor prophets that I just mentioned, it talks about coming judgment. However, when we think about the coming judgment, we need to understand that it began with the crucifixion of Jesus. There, the judgment we feared and rightly deserved was poured out on Christ. In the face of judgment, God is still extending an offer of repentance to those that he loves. And what is that offer? To seek him and live. When we do that, we can find safety. You see, seeking him means this number one, when we seek him, our worship changes. We saw that in, in verses 5-7. through seven. Our worship changes as we see in these. The, the people are seeking God through religion. The, those popular places of worship, they, they had the festivals, they offered the sacrifices, but God saw down to the root of the matter. It was all for show. Have you been guilty of that? Listen, I grew up in the South, and I know that there's this way of thinking that, that permeates the doors of the church. This type of thinking of of don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang with people that do, right? That that as long as I'm not as bad as, as those people over there, I'm okay. Listen, refusing to repent from our sins will be the thing that keeps us from seeing Jesus face to face. But I believe that moral religion, moral religion, is just as damning. You know what makes me nervous? Passages like Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And it's in this passage that it describes people who are doing things in the name of the Lord. They they, they say to God, hey, didn't we cast out demons and and feed the hungry and all these different things in your name? And what does Jesus say to them in the end day? Depart from me. I I, I never knew you. It's a passage that describes these people who who are busy and working and have their rituals, but their hearts are far from them. It's, it's people that Matthew 15 says that, that they honor God with their lips. There are people that honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Family, we must understand that there is a difference between seeking the church and seeking after the Lord. There's a difference between simply singing songs and actually having the lyrics of the songs draw us closer to God. There's a difference between hearing the words of a sermon and actually have those words pierce our hearts in such a way where we turn to obedience to God and what he's calling us into. Listen, there's no security in listening to sermons, coming to church, playing K-Love on the radio. Security is in seeking after and resting in Jesus. It doesn't end there, though. Seeking him means that we will many times be corrected. Verse 10, they hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. Amos was despised and hated for calling out injustice, for speaking the truth where nobody else did. Here's a question for you. Are you guilty of doing the same? Oftentimes when the conversation of of justice comes up, we get frustrated or angry that this conversation is is littered with some sort of political agenda. Have people hijacked the conversation of, of justice to fit their motives? Yes, you can believe that they have. But have we also grown dismissive to the conversation simply because we don't want to be corrected? Yes, probably so. You see, our comforts are being poked at and taken from us and, and, and we find ourselves being exposed. Listen, if we are to seek God and live, that means letting go of our idols and our incorrect ways of thinking. That means that when blind spots have been exposed, we must humbly learn to grow out of those based off what Scripture says. See, verses 8 and 9 speaks about the majesty and the greatness of God and how He is over and above us in every single way. So when we see something or hear something based off what Scripture says, who are we to dispute it? Family, we have allowed our politics to define how we see the world instead of allowing Scripture to do the defining for us. And for that, we must repent. This is what I mean by that. Over the past several years, we've seen this statement more than once, uh, the statement that black lives matter matter. And listen) <laughs> I don't think I've seen a more triggering line or comment in the past few months than that line right there. Listen, there are things about that organization as a whole that as Christians, it, it makes sense for us to tread with extreme caution. However, the statement black lives matter in and of itself is biblical, not political. According to Genesis chapter one, all lives were created in the image of God. And for that reason, They matter. They matter. And what we need to understand is that this statement does not mean that other lives do not matter. But historically, in our American context, we must be honest. It would appear that black lives do not equal to the level of our counterparts. For those who profess faith in Jesus, when lives are mistreated, that should frustrate us. And if it does not, just like verse 10, we need to stand corrected. This is an issue of biblical justice. And listen, if it's bothered you that I even spent the last couple minutes even talking about that, look back at verse 10 and ask yourself the question why. This is how we should live. We let scripture dictate how we think, how we believe, and how we operate. And when scripture is calling us out, we repent and we go the direction scripture is calling us into. But finally, seeking him means doing what is good and not evil. Verses 14 through 15 says this: seek good and not evil, that you may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I want to make sure that you hear me say this: You are saved by grace alone, not by your works, not by doing good things versus bad things. We cannot claim to be the people of God and then engage in ungodly living. Seeking the Lord means that we hate evil, but we love good. We cannot love evil, but then say that we love God too. It just just doesn't mix well. It's like oil and water. The last time I was there with you guys, I shared two forms of holiness, right? The, the, The positional holiness and the practical holiness. The positional holiness is that we're holy because God has said that we are holy. However, that practical holiness means that we live it out. And living it out means uh, hating evil, running away from evil, and doing what is good in the eyes of the Lord. You know, I had someone tell me a long time ago that you can tell when you're walking with Jesus, when you are daily fighting your sin. The issue comes up when your sin doesn't bother you anymore. You, you dive headfirst into it. And if that's the case, then you need to be concerned. So what do we do with all of this? I don't mean to leave you in a, in a place of frustration or anger because after hearing something like this, it can cause guilt, it can cause apathy, and it can cause frustration. But I believe it starts with seeking the Lord. Guys, you must ask the Lord to search your heart in this area. It, 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 it's not enough to just have these things searched, but then when they're searched and found out, repent of them. Where have I been worshipping falsely? Where do I buck at correction? Where do I prefer evil over good? And when you begin to see these things, give them over to God and have Him forgive you. Have Him transform you. Have Him give you the desire to to pursue good over, over evil. Seek after Him and have Him transform your heart. Oftentimes, we're ignorant of what's going on in our hearts and minds. However, when that ignorance is seen, we cannot use it for innocence anymore. God is saying to us, seek me. And it's when we seek him that our hearts begin to soften and our eyes are, are open to what's going on around us. In the same way that he knew about our sin and pursued us, when, 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 when we then pursue others in love and, and care as the people of God. Why? Because this is what he desires. This is what he wants of us. Integrity Church, this is what I'm praying for you. This is what I'm praying for proclamation church as we launch our services in the next couple of months that that it's easy to look the other way when there's injustice it's easy to to, to operate in a in a system of, of being comfortable but just like the people of israel it's in that comfort that god will judge us and i pray that we would be people that seek him and live so that we can draw other people in to seek him and live as well let's pursue it together god we thank you for who you are we thank you that we have an opportunity to open up your word. I pray, Lord God, after this is a heavy, heavy topic, um, and uh, to be honest, uh, oftentimes people can be extremely frustrated when hearing things like this. I pray, Lord God, before uh, uh, an email is sent or a text message is sent, uh, that God, that we would sit in the text, that we would ask ourselves the question, man, where are areas where I've just ignored injustice? Where are areas where I've uh, found myself being comfortable in in my worship and not having my worship be uh, altered in such a way where it brings, brings glory to you and honor and glory to your name. Help us to see that, Lord, uh, but, but then help us to live it out. Uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform our hearts and our minds for your glory. Allow us to seek after you and live. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.